Welcome to the D&D Roundtable, your premier source for D&D news. We cover everything D&D from Wizards of the Coast. We cover updates from the convention circuit. We cover new and exciting products, casts and streams, and events for D&D. We cover happenings in organized play. If it's D&D related, we cover it here. Industrious Ferret is by Kevin McLeod at Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hey, we'd really appreciate it if you dropped us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Welcome to the D&D Roundtable. Today, we have some very cool guests associated with three hot Kickstarters that'll be coming out in the next short order of time. So, uh, in order to allow our guests to meet each other and to make them familiar to you, our dear listeners, we have an icebreaker question. Our icebreaker question today is, how did you get started as an RPG editor? How did you go from, I'm a person and I want... Uh, a normal boring nine to five job versus hey i'm an rpg creator like that's a hell of a superhero transformation who would like to go first yeah this is jeff stevens and um you know i i I was i'm 49 years old i played in the 80s um 70s and 80s and quit when i got out of college um Loved the game when I was playing, but uh, thought that I needed to take the adult route and, and not play games anymore. Little did I know that that's the incorrect route. You should always play games. Um, but uh, a couple few, about six years ago, my brother came to me and said, hey, do you want to start playing D&D again? And I was, you know, I was reluctant, being in my 40s. And thought, you know, it was a kid's game. But then I said, okay, sure. Loved the game. Came back to it and just really loved it. And when it came time to DM next, I started my own – I, I – I, raised my hand and said, yeah, I'll take the reins. I've always enjoyed writing. I've got several stories and little novels that I've worked on, um, never published or anything, but uh, uh, thought that this might be a, a fun route to express myself as far as writing. And so my, my campaign was based off of Metallica songs and Primus songs. And um, Okay, that is awesome right there. Yeah, like just it, flat master, out awesome. It was like Master Puppets was the bad guy and they came through all these different things. Uh, uh, just different pieces of um, the uh, the whole Metallica song titles just are, are so inspiring themselves. Um, I even had Metal Leica, a halfling band. <laughs> <laughs> you being, didn't mention like, that last time we yeah, talked. <laughs> being, one of the, being one of the bad guys, okay. they, were, they all had like these powerful instruments that did like thunder wave and shatter and that type of thing. And um, they, unfortunately, I didn't scale it right. So they were taken out pretty easily because a big old fireball uh, could take out a bunch of halfling bars. Mm, um, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but afterwards, you know, during that time, I was looking at the DMs Guild, and I was like, I was reading some of that stuff, and I'm like, well, I could probably do this with my notes, because I took pretty detailed notes and, and did my own maps and stuff. And then came out Or you look at the DMs Guild and go, I could write better than that turnip. I didn't want to say that, but yes, yeah. There, um, I, I thought I could, light, I could write at least at, that well. And maybe make some money, you know. And I turned my notes from the House of the Midnight Violet, which was inspired by a Primus song, um, and uh, 
put that on there and I was hoping to make a hundred dollars in the first day. And of course, as we know, that doesn't typically happen. And so, <laughs> but that didn't, <clears throat> that didn't discourage me. I kept, I had all my notes and I, I enjoyed the process so much that I just kept on going and kept on going and kept on coming up with other new ideas and uh, just love doing this. This is, this is what I want my full-time job to be. Um, hopefully this Kickstarter will give it a push towards that, but, uh, yeah, it's just so much fun to to do this type of stuff, and I'm so glad that I got back into D and D, especially fifth edition, because it's so easy to write for. I feel um, the mechanics are just so great, and it's just been so much fun meeting people. I mean, I'm seeing people on this chat or in this podcast, like Sadie. We've never met in person, we've never seen each other's faces like this and talk. But Sadie's worked for me and done done art for me for. Uh, one of my adventures and it's great to be able to, to meet people and especially at con conventions you know uh, when we get to do those sad, again yes yeah, <laughs> hopefully hopefully we get to do those again Maybe. but uh, but otherwise it's just great working with people from all over the world you know Australia Brazil Peru y you name it um, I'm, I'm talking to everybody UK Canada and it's just amazing to think that that I've it's such a jump from being not a D&D &D creator or an RPG creator to then coming into this and then having all this, this circle of community. Community. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. All right. Uh, that is a really good origin story. Thank you. Darren, you want to go next? Sure. Absolutely. So um, like Jeff, I played D and D a long, long time ago, uh, back in the seven, late seventies and early eighties and never really stopped. We've, we have a core group that I've known since gingerbread school that still get, uh, generally get together every year or so, or multiple times a year to play um, different types of role-playing games, all fantasy related. Uh, I really started in publishing um, back in the Role Master days, back in the 80s. I've got some of the material published Ooh, there. Ooh, that, so, that's, that's definitely from the Wayback Machine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm old school kind of player. And so um, had a, have some material published there. I worked on a couple of uh, items for Facet over the days, uh, some of the Battletech role-playing pieces um, I play-tested and worked with them on. And then I did some of the cartography work for Kingdoms of Calamar by Ken Zirkon. Company, some of the early work um, on the interior cover work there and did some maps. Um, my undergrad was in cartography and was always interested in, in really getting into, you know, using those skills, but um, ended up going down the technology field and now I'm a full-time project manager and, and really had no desire to really get into publishing role-playing material until about a year ago. I've got vast volumes of material that I've collected over the years, but my son saw it and thought uh, he's, he was 11 at the time and, and he wanted to, um, wanted to kind of get involved in it and understand how to run it and play D&D. &D. And he's been playing D&D &D quite a bit. He showed up at D8 Summit and uh, enjoyed playing there an awful lot. Um, shout out to the folks that have put that together. He had a blast. Thank you so much uh, for everybody involved with the D8 Summit. And uh, we're very kid friendly too. It worked really well how everything worked there. That, but um, so then he uh, persuaded me a year ago to maybe put an adventure module together and that sort of springboarded into now we've worked on miniatures. We've got nine pewter miniatures cast and available. We've got 35 more sculpted and trying to go through the casting process, which is um, 
quite a, quite a bit of a challenge. Part of my background was doing some miniature combat system. I designed one for something called Hundred Kingdoms um, in Warbands, and I used a, like a skirmish miniature type system and an army system. So that's kind of my background. When we get together, I'll lay out um, big giant rooms filled with terrain and Dwarven Forge. So some of the castle layouts that I built, have built are pretty amazing. So really been more of a hobbyist than looking at this as a career path, but thought, well, take all the material I've put together throughout my lifetime and um, kind of put it together, kind of teach my son how to start up a company from scratch without a whole lot of money thrown at it, right? And so there's challenges in that. It's hard to be the new guy in the block to come in and, and try to do something and work it out. But his plot line, he took really all of the different material that I had and went through it all. And I have more of a sandbox, I'm a sandbox type of GM, and he's more of the new wave where he, he does like the plot, the depth of plots, and he wound it together. And some of the plots are just simply amazing. I, I would be, I could not have figured out like where he came up with some of the ideas from. Like when you have a child, I don't know if anybody, if you have kids, you think, where did they come up with that idea from? Like, how did they figure that out? He just came up with that out of the blue. So what you see in our products are that new type of innovation from a kid, right? That's obviously done professionally. We have good artists and great, you know, great editor to help us out on the project. And he's been doing the work for us on, on getting the editing together. And we are live right now on Kickstarter, um, trying to get funded. And as of always, that's always a challenge when you're kind of the small little company um, without a huge marketing budget behind it. But that's really my background. I'll pass it over to Anthony. That's a great story. Darren, just, yeah. Oh, just yeah. real quick, Darren, I loved Battletech as a kid. I mean, oh, did you? Of, oh, oh yeah, yeah. I, oh, I spent yeah. most of the '80s with my heat sinks in a creek, going, "Not yeah. the face, not the face, yeah. not the face." Scorpions <laughs> were scorpions. I loved scorpions, yep, yep, and, and yep, unfortunately, yep. they always lost a leg. But um, yeah, just want to shout that out. Oh no problem. Yeah, no, that's good. I saw you light up when I said it. Um, part of the BattleTech thing, I did some of the clan playtesting back in the day, so I was in part of that when it was released, and it was it was interesting. Like your thoughts are either it's you're polarized whether you liked what they did with the clans or not. So um, they left out a lot of good material that we suggested. So we had we had tons of neat stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway, go ahead, Anthony. Sorry. Hey, no, no. Hey, uh, Darren, as a father of three young boys, uh, that's something I hope that uh, I can see my children do one day. That's pretty cool. So I'm envious. Uh, really yeah. Big kudos to your kid. Um, so I got started in D&D publishing uh, almost exactly two years ago. Uh, yeah, two years ago uh, was when I started. And so I'm in the Army. I'm a, I'm a major. I'm an Army strategist. And that's my, my full-time job. But uh, I had to convince my wife of a way to get Dorvan Forge. So I'm like, hey, you know what? I got this crazy idea. I've seen this website. You can sell stuff. Uh, you know, what if I write my own adventures and I can sell them on DMs Guild and then I can take the money and buy some Dorvan Forge? Because that's expensive stuff, you know? That so, seems in completely reasonable. Did it work? So here's the irony, right? Like, it's, we're going on two years. I haven't bought any Dorvan Forge yet. I'm just like dumping, <laughs> dumping money into more projects. <laughs> it's just good. I don't, I don't play D&D as much anymore because I'm producing stuff. Anthony, so, do we need uh, to get you some Dorvan Forge yeah, for Christmas? That's all, or? Wanted, that's all I wanted. So, <laughs> but, um, you know, I really have found... Uh, it's interesting. So the evolution is kind of like single uh, author, writer, doing everything, uh, putting out a project in 2018. 
in, on a DMs Guild and, and you know, I've evolved and been lucky to find great uh, other creatives and friends, partners on the DMs Guild in the community and start collaborating, making bigger projects. And it's culminated now uh, to where we are today with a Kickstarter, but not only a Kickstarter, we've also started a company called Crystal Quill Press. And so, you know, I need an escape plan after the army, right? I can't be here for 50 years and, uh, and die an old looming man in, in uniform. So D&D hopefully is a way for, uh, if I continue and I'm successful, I can retire at 20 years and then, uh, which is only eight years away. And then I can uh, move into full-time company publishing stuff. So that's my origin story. All right. Well, it sounds like you've got a very organized plan. As any military person should, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think that's fair. Right. You've got military training as a military strategist, and I don't think that's fair for the rest of us. Because... <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we got um... a professional project manager down here, Jeff. I think, yeah. you know... The, I mean, the thing is, the thing is, you know what the first casualty in any conflict is, right? The plan. The plan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So All right. true. All right. Uh, last but certainly not least, Sadie. Hello. Um, Call. So I have been writing in the tabletop RPG community for under a year at this point, uh, but I've been writing my entire life. I, I remember being in elementary school and middle school and high school using my free periods to write what I thought were very, very brilliant novels. Um, they were just brilliant beyond words, uh, but I will never speak of them again. So, you know, it's, we're not going to tap that, that unlimited potential ever again. Uh, <laughs> um, so so I, those, are those available at all anywhere? No. We all had to start somewhere. We all started somewhere and, you know, you know your first no, thing helped you learn and we just put it away. Okay. Uh, yep. Okay. We just tuck it away. We never look at it again. Um, can't, I, po can't possibly find it. Nope. <laughs> and, uh, and, and as I grew, I think I just falling in love with um, books and video games. I mean, I was that kid who would take three books from the library, go home, read them all, return them the next day, and then come home, come back to the library and take out three more. And, uh, and I was always writing and I was always experimenting with new mediums. I was always like, in the last two years, I joined role playing groups and I, I got my degree in editing uh, at college and I, you know, from them, I worked on magazines and brochures and I just loved the written language in every single form that I could find. And, and so as I was taking that journey and going from books and magazines and, and everything, I, I realized a trend in the types of video games that I was playing. I really like RPGs. I really like RPGs. Don't, don't mention Mass Effect or Dragon Age around me. I could talk oh. for hours. Oh. Uh, we'd be here all day. That's uh, a different show. Yeah. Oh, boy. Bring the Garrus show is what that is. Jenny, bring me back for that. I have opinions. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But I, you know, I love these story-driven, huge worlds. I loved Mass Effect. I loved Dragon Age. I love so much these immersive worlds. And so, and I, I went to my best friend, Amber Lickie, and I just went, you know, I want to do something. I want to make a, a text adventure. I want to do something. And that never got off the ground. But then I found Ashley Warren's RPG Writers Workshop. And that I is an running excellent resource. Excellent. Yes. Everyone should sign up for that. They like should. everyone. It was last, it was last, what would that be? October, November of last year. And I remember running to Amber and going, please sign up with me. Please sign up with me, please. I want to try this. Please sign up with me. Um, I don't even know did. what time is anymore. 
<laughs> I know. I, it's last year. What? Um, so we signed up. I wrote a, an Eberron adventure and uh, I immediately got folded into, I think, between that and Deathless Skies Messiah, I got folded into the Eberron community. And then around the same time, I got folded into the Creator's Lounge and the larger community. And that immediate sense of being able to do something that I've spent my entire life honing and loving and wanting to do and having a supportive community almost immediately go, okay, yeah, you want to do that? How can we help you? Um, it, it made it so much easier to jump right in. I am uh, two and a half months away from my first year anniversary, but no one can say that I have not been very busy. Right. Um, Oi, right. you've been the busiest. <laughs> I've been very busy. Um, and it's it's been a whirlwind and it is so incredible to to see myself doing this, these things I loved and admired. I've been DMing uh, my homebrew campaign now for, we just hit our two year anniversary. Um, and I, every day, every week, I walk away from that campaign thinking, if I can help other people feel the happiness and the wonder and the adventure that we feel at our home game every week, then I will have done my job as a tabletop RPG creator. Yep, that's that's God's work right there, too. My husband, actually, um, the other... The, a couple weeks ago, I remember telling him, it's hard to feel like in, in the world right now, it's hard to feel like anything I'm doing matters. It's hard to feel like I can do anything that actually matters. And I have been holding his quote in the back of my head ever since that night, because he, he looked at me and he just said, Sadie, I think that giving people an avenue to feel brave in a time when it's impossible to feel brave is perhaps the most beautiful thing you can do. And I have been... That's very true. As a wise man. Yeah. I've like made that my mantra. <laughs> Just if I can give people an avenue to feel brave and to feel wonder and to feel exploratory and excited, then God, we've hit ourselves the best dang industry, haven't we? It is so cool to see how we all fell into this and we all are out there creating wonder. Oh, God, that's such a great story. Okay, well, we are here today to talk about Kickstarter projects. And so we've got three really awesome Kickstarters. Um, so uh, Sadie and Anthony are here to talk about Nazi Dracula Must Die. Uh, Darren's here to talk about Dalrith, Haven in the Ice. And Jeff is here to talk about Adventures from the Pot-Bellied Cobalt of the, from the, I don't remember. From the. I got it right the first time. Ah, so, uh, with that said, I'm sure everybody wants to know, like, what's your Kickstarter project about? Um, Darren, what's yeah, up with what, you this time? Yeah, we just need the, like, you know, the, the five-minute lowdown. Somebody stops you in the elevator and it's like, Kickstarter, what are you Kickstarting? Your teaser trailer. <laughs> Sorry, did you want me to start? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I thought, I you, thought you heard my name. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really what we're doing is uh, our first Kickstarter is um, really focused on one book that's a player's guide. So it's um, options for 5e. Uh, my homebrew setting uh, for what we play in, this is some of that material converted into 5e, if that makes sense. So it's not like attacked on components that are just, let's put everything together we can think of. It's actually material that we developed and used in a different system that I've developed that's now translating into 5e. So we have, for example, um, a new character class called the Mindweaver. So uh, the Mindweavers are, are very um, 
uh, mental, mental based. So they cast spells very much like magicians or wizards, but they use those types of um, mental based spells to, to get what they want. Um, kind of like a bard with a, a bit of more uh, mental type magic. Um, I in love a sense. that. So yeah, so there's different there's different approach to it that you're not used to in 5e. There's um, we have a, diff a rework on a lot of the different character classes. We went through the spells that that are currently available in 5e and came up with all of the spells that we use in our system. Um, interestingly enough, um, there were there was one in um, Frostwind Icewind Dale that was identical down to the verbiage to one that we developed so we're like we're looking at it and going holy cow this, I think we're on the right track with what we've developed here because it's literally identical we have to delete it out of the book of course but um but you know you know you're on the right track when you see somebody beat you to a publishing with the exact same thing so um so we looked at that and and so really the setting itself is is bigger than just this book this is just the first piece of it so we thought we this is the building block for getting to where we're at this setting most people might start with the setting first and then add in the components to it where we were looking at this we could get this to market quicker um, as a project manager that's what I always look at and what we're looking at is really players options you can drop into any game you don't have to use a setting and um, you can you pick pieces of it that you like to use so it's great for anybody who runs a homebrew put them um, right in ice window yeah, you can add it right onto what you're doing with Icewind Dale. And we've got some material out there that we've already um, done some final layout on, uh, great editing work on as well. And, um, you know, there's just things you could drop in right now and start playing with. And to support that, we've got miniatures uh, in the pipeline as well. So we have uh, Werebear that we already had out before Icewind Dale was even announced. So we have a number of different pewter miniatures that are available for people who like to paint and use miniatures in gameplay, although that's a little bit more difficult today. Um, but we're also looking at tokens, like top-down tokens of some of the different types you know, of races. It, at some point in time, this plague will be over and we will all be back to using our physical dice and, and physical miniatures on physical tables with physical friends. My 50 dice eventually. will be worth something they were I know. <laughs> like i keep my dice on my desk just because i'm lonely for them <laughs> and anthony might get some dwarven forge then too right, <laughs> hey, right. Hey, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or come play on mine we've got we've got plenty so anytime yeah. you want to stop in there we go again <laughs> so, so that's really what we're looking at is a combination of we've got um you know the combination of miniatures and really to supplement the setting. The setting is just a piece, just the first book is just a piece of what we have in development cycle. We've got a monster book. We've got, um, you know, quite a few other pieces put in, in the pipeline, but really it's important for us to, you know, get it, a stake out there, look at, is this marketable material? Is this something people would want to use and um, get it out into everybody's hands? And um, that's really what, what our project's all about. Darren, I'm looking at your Kickstarter now and I think I would pretty well play a year today. Is that how it's pronounced? I'm sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Yours today? Yeah, yeah. That's a fascineing. Um, I loved that one when I was editing, and I'm like, this is good. <laughs> it's yeah, a polar, polar bear. Things. I don't know if anybody's seen that, but it's a playable polar bear race. It's pretty sweet. It yeah. So think cool. of um, uh, Golden Compass. Uh, oh okay. Series. His dark materials. There you go. Thank yeah. you, Paige. <laughs> I can't remember things. Yeah, I got the miniature over here somewhere. Yeah, oh, the miniatures are great too. If I can find the. The Ursa Day miniature. I don't know if you can see That's them very really well. Cool Kickstarter. I'll I put mean, it up here. I don't know if you can see it. Your, just looking at Ooh, your preview pages. Yeah. I mean, your production 
your art direction is fantastic. Your layout is fantastic. And there's just such a strong product identity on the page, which I think is phenomenal. Yeah, it's yeah, it's they're a good gorgeous. So, yeah. so maybe my MBA paid off a little bit. Yeah. Oh, see, that's, that's what I'm hedging my bet on right now. I'm sure I just started my MBA and I'm like, yeah. First practical use I've had of it. I've been a project manager in my career, most of my career. So um, yeah, in the marketing part, you know, we need to work on that piece of it to get, to get our name out there, right? That's always the challenge in a new, new startup. All right. Well, after Facts. after I pay for some of my marketing, I'm gonna come back and back your your Kickstarter. It's, it's <laughs> well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, uh, Jeff, you're next on the screen for me. Okay. Um, my product is called Adventures from the Pot-Bellied Cobalt, and um, I don't know if anybody knows, but I am primarily an adventure writer. I'm not a. I don't dabble much in player options, um, and spells and you know subclasses. I dabble here and there every once in a while. Sometimes I'll get a a crazy idea and throw it on paper and, and that's about it. But um, so I like small, short adventures. That's, you know, that's what I go to the DMs guild to find. And I thought, well, uh, I'm sure there are other DMs that need this. And those who go to the DMs guild find small adventures. And so my idea was to have this, this pot Billy Cobalt who, who is there to deal out adventures to ad adventurers who need an adventure. And, um, they, these are all just like kind of one-shot drop-ins, so the DM can just pull one of these out and throw it at, at their players. They're scaled out to multiple levels, like level three to five player range, or or seven to nine somewhere in there. Um, so that it allows the DM to use it in more than just one game. And uh, within that, I'm also going to um, write the beginning uh, to allow the potbelly. See, the potbelly cobalt is cursed. She's been cursed by an evil wizard. And she was actually she's a gnome wizard, okay. Oh no! But the 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 curse turned her into a pot-bellied kobold, and she's not able to leave her stage her covered stage wagon. Um, she 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 has to remain within thirty feet of that. So she's really limited in what she can do. So she has these adventurers, and she's come across this book that that kind of explains a way to break the curse. And so the adventures will be tied to that, and where um, if if the uh, party completes the quest, you know, and they find this item there to bring it back to her. And the more items she collects, she's able to break her curse and then, you know, become Chrysalie Tingletoe again, which is the name of the, the um, gnome <laughs> wizard that she was. Tingletoe. I love it. Yeah, Chrysalie Tingletoe. <laughs> Chrysalie yep. Tingletoe. So oh, God. And so, so it's, so it's a, a book with a bunch of short adventures with kind yes. of an over overarching storyline. Yes, there'll be both. Yeah, you can drop them in and play them as singly, you know, not with the, the tie into the Pop Belly Cobalt and just use her as, you know, the quest giver um, uh, and, and possibly as a merchant or, uh, you know, somebody who can identify your magic items, stuff like that. Or the, over, the overarching arc of the story arc of trying to cure her also. Okay. That was going to be my but question. Is, you get to save her, right? You can, if you want. Yeah, it's it's up to it's up to it's she may enjoy being the pot belly cobalt. Who knows? That's but that's the name others have given her because you know they pass her by and then, oh there's that pot belly cobalt. So <laughs> she just kind of goes by that. You know she's accepted that and she's a happy little pot belly cobalt and um, she's just enjoying life as a pot belly cobalt. But would love to be back to her crystally tingle toe form and, and defeat the evil wizard that uh, cursed her. I mean I enjoy being a gnome too, so I don't blame her. <laughs> yeah. I, okay. Yeah. Um. So, last but not least, uh, Nazi Dracula must die. So, I mean, 
just starting from the name. We're already, <laughs> we're already somewhere different, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's basically it. the pitch, right? Yeah. Is this, yeah. Is this an Egyptian-themed adventure or something? Or, uh, <laughs> no. Uh, desert? I, don't, I can't. I don't know. You if, know. Someone, if someone stopped me in an elevator and said, Nazi Dracula must die, I would say, all right. I'm on it. Let's go. <laughs> right. I don't know what who do you, you are, me? and I don't know where you're going, but I'm with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the funny thing about this is, uh, you know, I talked about Crystal Quill Press. So my, my other partners are M.T. Black, Justice Arman, uh, Matthew Barrett, and David Lizerbrom. And when we got together, we said, hey, we're going to form this company. We want to publish something. I said, look, give me some time. I'm going to make a pitch. It's going to be the first, the first project pitch that we do. So they trust me, like, okay, go do your thing. So I go and I start doing concept art and working on this thing behind the scenes. And it, we do a Zoom chat because, you know, NT's in Australia, everybody's around the country. And I'm like, all right, you ready for your idea? And I pop up, Nazi Jacula, my style. Everybody's face like, what the hell am I being pitched right now? This is crazy. <laughs> you know, so, but, uh, you know, the idea is we wanted to, I wanted to, you know, we as a group wanted to put something that's fresh into five, right? Everybody, Fantasy is kind of where 5D lives. And we, we said, you know, it can be more than that. We think it can go into other genres. And uh, being in the Army and from a proud history of killing Nazis, uh, I think we needed to bring that back to the front. That, look, these are bad people. Uh, fascism and Nazis had, but we want to let's, let's, let's kind of package it in a way that's fun, uh, in a grim, dark, alternate reality, weird, uh, science, strange, magic type of universe. And love alternate history it's one of oh, my yeah. favorite oh like, yeah so we, we uh i'll let sadie talk here in the in a second on the gazetteer because she's kind of doing the world building uh for for this as well with me but um the, i'll give you the macro the macro view is it's 1942 that's at the peak of nazi germany's power they've they've taken over france they're they're britain's on the brink of destruction russia's getting invaded uh the world has lost hope uh albert einstein had has created the Extraordinary Operatives Executive, and he's bringing together uh, people, heroes from all around the world, from all different countries, from, from Canada, from France, from, from Britain, and all these other territories to, to come together to put an end to uh, Nazi Dracula, who's in Romania at the time, and to start pushing back the Third Reich. And then, Sadie, I'll hand it over to you. You can start talking about some of the world stuff here. Gosh, yeah, okay. So... We, the question from the beginning, I think, in making this world is, you know, this is alternate history. So it's, what does the war look like through a fantasy and a weird science lens? Uh, and trying to work in both of those. We've taken some touchstones from different countries and their cultures and their mythology and tied that into the gazetteer and we're only just starting to explore what we can do but it's been so fascinating to think okay well what did the blitzkrieg look like you know we all know what the blitz is and we know how it happened in our history how did it look if germany had de demons what's what is the position of the vatican and their neutrality when there are literal demons and is there a rebel group of demon hunters you know, we, we've tapped into every single country and gone, okay, well, we know, for example, actually, one of my favorite things that we sort of came upon was, we know that Britain at this time in history was holding back um, Nazi Germany and keeping them from, you know, the Nazi Germany was, you know, having these aerial attacks and Britain was somehow holding them back. And we were like, okay, well, why? And one of the things that um, 
I remember talking to my husband. He's a big history buff. And I went, why? What gave Britain an advantage? What was holding them back? And he went, well, their radar was more advanced. And I went, okay, well, what does radar look like? And I went, scrying. Okay. So we went, well, what if we just pull the wizard Merlin out of nowhere? He is now a wizard spy master. Uh, He brought new and improved scrying. And how else? How else are they holding Nazi Germany back? How does that change when Dracula's on the scene? You know, if they're going into Russia, what's holding them back? Is it Baba Yaga and a snow scourge? It's, we've gone to every country and we've gone, what, what does the war look like when you have fantasy and weird science and alternate history? And what can we give DMs to play with in this world and leave gaps open for them to bring in their own things too? Like it's, it's what can we bring to the table? What can everyone else bring to the table? How can we turn the European theater of war into something so creative and so full of these love letters to these countries and their, their history and their cultures. That sounds really awesome. And the neat thing is it's not like, Hey, I'm a first level adventurer and I'm a, divine soul sorcerer like the rest of them like they're dime a dozen nobody really cares but it sounds like in this setting if you've got any magical power you are very different than the rest of the planet right yes yeah Yeah. so i want to be a secret spy i don't need magic yeah it's uh (laughs) it's uh almost a supers game at that point yeah yeah and that's kind of what we talked about is you know in this in that world you can take the fantasy like the spell casting and you know, like the paladin, uh, he, it's, you know, in 5e, it's about an oath, right? Well, again, he's the, we have iconic characters that are uh, people that we've pulled out of real history and we've aligned them with the subclass to give people inspiration of how they play. And ours is Major Rivera. He's a, a Puerto Rican officer based off my grandfather who served in the Marine Corps. And uh, they take an oath to the Constitution. And so that's his oath, oath of liberty. Uh, you know, he's empowered by that freedom fighting. And you have, you know, Merlin, who teaches wizards. And so when you play your character, you're not one of many. You're extremely unique in the setting and very extraordinary. That is very cool. Uh, so we have three very different products. And uh, it, it's interesting to think what, uh, what sort of, which, who's your audience? Like, if you had to guess who's going to buy your product, who's going to be the most thrilled about your product, who do you think that's going to be? What kind of sub-demographic of gamer-topia is, I mean, is yours? That's, that's a great question. And the way I'm seeing it from people just here, Darren has, like, the players who are going to say, hey, I want to play these these races that he's got, you know, all these player options in his book. And mine's the DMs who are looking for, like, one-shot adventures to throw at their, their players. Lazy. And, lazy, like me. Well, no, I, I would just say, <laughs> I wouldn't say lazy. I would say the DM who needs a little assistance on those weeks where, you know, the kids are sick and you don't have time to prep for the next game or something like that. And then, and then Sadie and Anthony's that's everybody because you're you've got player options you've got a world you've got the adventure you got the gms in there also so i think we got a really broad range of of you know kickstarters here that's gonna appeal to a lot of different people i think the question for anthony and i is are we going to appeal to the history buffs or are we going to uh anger the history <laughs> buffs are they our market or are they our 
I mean, as, as a know. player of Top Secret, I played Top Secret back in the day. I don't know if you have looked at that at all. There was quite a bit of World War II stuff they used to run at Gen mm-hmm. Con back in the 80s. I'm dating myself, but um, <laughs> um, I played a lot of the Top Secret. Um, I think you, I think you'd interest people. I don't think it's you turn them off. I, and I have a history background. I have an undergrad in history, so. Um, you know, I, I find it fascinating different takes on it, right? So mm-hmm. I, I'd be I'd be interested. Uh, not saying I could find a group. Uh, my group's <laughs> so embedded in fantasy role playing. If I put a firearm in it, they would go crazy. So <laughs> my core group. Oh my god, Travis Travis Woodall would hate hate it. It has guns. I'll send him a cop copy. No, I, <laughs> highlight the gun entry and the yeah. katana entry and send it to Travis. That yeah. that is guaranteed humor right there. I really um, feel um I really feel like uh Jeff's Jeff's Kickstarter is so much a love letter to some of some of those core things that make D and D and D. It's it's zany and interesting and quirky and fun, but there's so much good content packed into it. Um, and I also like that Ed Darren has so much um, what's the word variety. Uh, I really think that I, I I imagine that they're going to have a wide cast audience because that. You know, Darren has so much variety and stuff to grab onto, so much stuff for DMs and players to go, oh, I want that in my game. And then Jeff's going to have an array of adventures that all just go, it's such a love letter to D&D. It's such a, you know, the pot-bellied kobold, you hear that and you go, that's D&D. That is exactly <laughs> D&D. I love yeah. that. I mean, it seems a little more like the Dalreth is kind of pointed at players. Not mm-hmm. entirely, of course, but more pointed at players because it has player options, class options, subclasses, whatever. Yeah, this Kickstarter is focused just on the player's book. The future ones, I mean, we have a, a fascinating map if you want me to show it to you. I've got it updated. Um, I, I don't know if I can share. Nope, you don't have sharing available. But nope. anyway, we've no, got a fascinating, but- fascinating map, fascinating the political intrigue of what goes on in the adventure and such there's more coming but this particular kickstarter yeah it's a player's options that's and a great i think that's a great avenue to go too because there's more players than there are dms so this is true and, true facts and jeff's project is more pointed at dms because obviously these are things that are going to make the dm's life a lot easier whereas nazi nazi dracula must die <laughs> Like everybody. <laughs> That's everybody. Yeah, th- there's somebody who's gonna buy it, and they're gonna come to their game group, slap it down on the table. I mean, if we were all together and t- whatever. Metaphorical game. Yes, yeah, sla- metaphorically slap it down on the table and says, "You folks have to see this. We must play this next." And that could be a DM, that could be a player, it could be anybody. Yep. I think too. Uh, like. I don't know. It's kind of odd to say this, but like, you're also going to get people who buy it just because the title is, I mean, I don't find it inflammatory, but some people will find it inflammatory and they're going to buy it just to pick through it and find something to dislike about it. But at that point, they've already bought it. Yep. Laugh all the way to the <laughs> <laughs> Does this make you angry? Please rant on Twitter about it. <laughs> I, yeah, that's I the best advertising a- you can get. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. But no, I think you have a great idea there. I mean, it's not the same, right? That's sometimes people want that differently. I'd mm-hmm. love I love to play different types of games. I played Top Secret back in the day and it sounds a lot like that's the direction you're headed, you know, in some of the Yeah, we, we hope that it's just it. something something, you know, new and unique and uh and interesting and you know, it may rile up some people. Uh but hey, if if 
you don't like Nazis dying. I don't know what to say. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, please. I know what to say Nazis if you don't yeah. like yeah. Nazis yeah. dying. I got yeah. something yeah. specific. <laughs> like, I shouldn't rile people up any more than Secret Hitler does, but I mean, I've played some games of Secret Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> they get hated. <laughs> Is that like Werewolf? Kind of, yeah. yeah. Kind of, kind of, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a bit, it's a bit more formulated. So, you all get your little packet, and it says if you're um, a fascist or a liberal, and then you gotta you gotta um, find Hitler before uh-huh. you get to where the fascists have enacted a certain number of policies, depending on how many players you have. And um, because there's some variations depending on how many people there are, if there are a small number of people, the fascists know who's a fascist, but neither of them know who Hitler is. So they're both like, they're all like, "Are you Hitler? You're Hitler. I'm Hitler. You're." Who's Hitler? Oh, right. <laughs> and then if it's you know, a lot more people like they know who Hitler is and, and like they're all banding together trying to like protect him but while also trying not to be obvious about it. Right, right. Yep. It's it's it'll be good fun back when we can play games face to face again. Yeah. Okay. Um so I have a question. Jeff or I'll ask you first. Have you thought about doing yours on like a virtual tabletop? Are you going to try to support that? I think um when I priced that it was going to be around a thousand dollars to get it converted to a virtual tabletop. Which I think I would probably do if it funds. Um I haven't made it a stretch goal. I don't want to do that. Um I just think that if it funds and I've got the additional money I'll do that. I'll, I'll convert it to a VTT. Um, I think there's a market for it out there. Uh, not so much as you don't see the sales of VTT stuff on the DMs Guild that, that much, but I think through um, possibly uh, either Roll20 or Fantasy Grounds itself, you might see sales on it. Now, Roll20 has a bigger market, but I mean, if you can get both, then you've captured both yeah. of those. And I think definitely like adding a virtual tabletop component brings more um, accessibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and the other thing it it brings is Online games can be real swingy. Some uh, DMs are super extra and have appropriate music and tokens for everything and and maps and then intermediate slides and pictures of all the NPCs. And some DMs are like, yeah, whatever. We don't need any of that. We've got theater of the mind. Um, I put pictures up. I put pictures. It's so having a VTT pack kind of brings a middling experience your super extra dm has some stuff to work on and your dm who just didn't have time to Mm -hmm. for it has something uh so you get a more consistent experience sort of Mm -hmm. but my question for you is a thousand bucks to get it prepped for vtt like i i run two or three different games a week on roll 20 and i'm not sure how that's a thousand dollars can you explain how that came to be a thousand dollars yeah it's 15, it's 15 adventures so you're looking at maybe 120 to 150 pages so far that's without stretch goals um and i just the i guess the time involved in converting it to fantasy grounds that's what the that's what the pricing was was around thousand dollars yeah I, d- I don't know fantasy grounds from nothing but like if we have 15 adventures with two two maps a piece uh one to two depending yeah Okay, so let's call that 30 maps, uh, which just have to be put into roll 20 and then aligned to, to grid. And then, I don't know, maybe 100 tokens? Character art. 
Um, they would, yeah, what they would do is they would link, they would actually upload the text and then link the text. So if you click on a creature, it takes you to the appendix. So yeah, I, yeah, I they're mean, they're doing a lot of. Uh, it, it it's something. Yeah, I will say if I have done fantasy grounds conversions on some, um, mm -hmm. being on the DM skill, you cannot. Being that I've only produced stuff up until now, DM skill, I can't put anything on the roll twenty marketplace. Right. But speaking fantasy grounds only, uh, it's not it's not worth it in my opinion. In mm -hmm. terms of the amount of money it takes to hire to produce it on that, and then the amount of sales is very niche. Now, roll twenty marketplace might be different. Yeah. Um, when you can actually sell through there, I will say though, what I found that's the middle ground of financially viable and then good for the customer is everything I have in the product, uh, any art asset is a high resolution image that you have in a zip file. So you could upload all the maps, everything already kind of filled out for you. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of works. I mean, it, and, and there's, you know, full treatment where you link every bit of the text and it's got a compendium and all that. And there's the option where you just put your maps in Roll20, you just put the tokens in Roll20, you just put the character art in Roll20, and that's like 80% of a DM's prep right there. And it's really nice when people upload their zip files, like you said, and then the name of the map, it says like 70 by 80 squares. And you, so you just know, you're like, yes, no guessing, exactly. no nothing. Yeah. I'm putting it in 70 at 80 and it fits. Done. Yep. God bless those people. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've we'll be play, doing a lot of our play testing online for um, and playing online. So ours will be built in right to a roll twenty. We're using Fantasy Grounds right now, and as Anthony mentioned, there's a lot. It's a lot. Of, I mean, it is a lot of work, right, to upload everything and build it and to make it the in embedded links and everything. It's 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 quite a bit of effort to do, but um, um, and and really, does it pay off? That's that's always the challenge, right? A lot of people right. want it, but does what's it, the ROI? What's return, yeah, what's return on investment on? on the effort. I mean, we'll, we need to do that. So we'll be having some type kind of like how Paige mentioned, maybe a middle ground to run it. Um, but to really make it um, worthy of a product to, to, to put it in a marketplace would take quite a bit of effort. Okay. And, and that's why we put it as a higher stretch goal for ours, um, Jeff. So it's something we might want to think about if you can get there. And then yeah. you could get that help making it a little professional. Anybody can put up a PDF and slap pictures in and do that. But to make it to that marketplace ready, I think it's going to, it is quite a bit of work. Yeah. Well, I think we've had stretch goals mentioned a couple of times now. Uh, so do you have any really cool stretch goals planned for your project? Or uh, what is your coolest stretch goal? Or, yeah. Mine, um, <clears throat> some of my higher ones are additional adventures. So the book comes with 15 adventures, and as you as we attain uh, certain levels of sales, more adventures will be added. Or I've got an appendix for new magic items, or an appendix for some new monsters. Um, uh, I also have four character backgrounds that you could add in for the, the characters to choose from. Um, so nothing extraordinary. I'm just building on the base book and adding a little bit more for the DM and the players to, to um, use. That seems very reasonable. Yours is very like, here's an adventure book. Yeah, give me more money. I give you more adventures. Mm -hmm. Although your list of authors already is pretty dang impressive. Just the ones I see. JVC Perry, Catherine Evans, James and Tricasso, uh, Sean Merwin. Yep. Uh, who else you got online, or, or are you are you oh. saying it's at? C no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. MT Black. Um, 
Oh gosh, I can't remember everybody. Uh, Kat Kruger, um, Victoria Rogers, uh, Tony Winslow Brill, um, Maxine Henry. Um, Ooh, I'm glad to see Maxine on there too. Yep, uh, I like her. The piece that she wrote for it, it's really good. Well, actually, she wrote she wrote the piece for a different product, and then after reading it, um, I was like, well, I think this might really go well with my Kickstarter. I went back to her. I said, "Would well, you mind if I put it in my Kickstarter?" I said, "I'll pay you the extra money um, for the writing fee that I'm paying everyone." And she goes, "Sure, go for it." So we made some updates to it, and we are adding it to the Kickstarter or to the Adventures from the Potbelly Cobalt. Um, so yeah, I've got 15 writers. The 15 I, I'm writing the basically the intro stuff, the stuff about the Potbelly Cobalt, the overstore, the you know larger story arc, and then a, a, the additional some of the additional pieces. But uh, yeah, the 15 writers they've already written their adventures, they've already been edited. So um, and half the art and, and cartography is done. So basically, my Kickstarter is probably 80 80 percent complete already as far as production i wanted to have enough yeah. to show people yeah you want to um, you want to have it done because yeah. if it takes off like gangbusters you better be able to deliver and and i figured this is a project i'm going to do either way even if the, even if it doesn't fund i'm going to put this book somewhere and if it doesn't fund i might just have 10 adventures in the book instead of 15 and do another something with something else with those other five adventures but they're going to be sure. they're going to be somewhere um so, you know, I took a risk. I'm taking a risk by investing so much money into it at the beginning, but it's something I wanted to do. And I'm not, I'm hoping I, I fund, but if I don't, it's okay. Uh, Darren, what are your, some of your cool stretch goals? Well, we have. I saw some, I saw some <laughs> pins, right? Yeah, I got one right here. I was digging it out. I don't know if you can see it, um, but that's a shield. It's uh, about three millimeters, four millimeters thick. Uh, metal. So that's one of the house crests, if you can kind of see the look of it, uh, from House Barton. So our theme and the, the setting is um, highly political in the sense that there's a lot of activity going on around the city and the area around the city and in the setting. And so um, that's one of the um, more of a paladin type um, night house that um, makes the best deal in the land. So uh, we've got that. We've got a few other um, types of shields that are in development. One with a, ro a rose crest on it as well, which is House Thorn. They're the wizards. I like of that the... one. It was red and green enamel. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah, we went to, we, it, it's a friend of mine's developing them and the color mix has been problematic because the screen color changes. I don't know if anybody's ever worked with enamels and trying to yeah. match screen colors. And we've gone through three iterations of that to get the right color of burgundy. And, um, it just doesn't look exactly right. It isn't the same on paper as it is on the screen as when you use enamel paint. So, um, and, and the miniatures I painted in that color already, right? I'm trying to match them all together, but um, I'm very picky about details like that. But it came out really good. So um, I, our final version of it's looking really good. And um, so we've got that. And then, of course, miniatures as well. We'll add content like Jeff did. Um, we do have content being planned to be added to it. And um, so, yeah, those are the different things you can look forward to. The um, Probably the best thing that we're really looking at is part of the stretch goals are you can, um, if, if we can hit some of those, are free add-ons. So you can pick up um, some miniatures or badges or whatever. So if we just simply could get the word out there and hit those goals, there'll be um, kind of like a treasure chest you can find along the way in our goals. And those miniatures are amazing, by the way. Yeah, I I've, was very happy with the sculpting that's done it. The miniature piece to get them right is um, very meticulous, right? You have to have the art perfect. You have to have the shape perfect in the miniatures. And they have to still come in a two-part mold and pewter. 
um, it's a lot easier to actually sculpt for 3D printing than it is to get it done in pewter. It's a oh, lot yeah, yeah. more difficult to it. 3D printing is easy. You could make body shapes like this and it look great 3D printed. But when you do print like this in pewter, you got to think of the undercuts under the arms. And so there's a lot of, unfortunately, there's a lot of um, project management overhead, right, to get even a miniature done which was more than I had really um, counted on. Um, but it, we got there and we've got about, I think 35 total in the works now. So we'll probably landed up close to 40 or 50 here um, that are sculpted and ready to go. Now, have you thought about um, a level where you provide the 3D printing um, plans for the miniatures to people? Oh, now that's a good idea. The challenge that I have with that at the moment is I don't have a 3D printer. I don't have a resin printer functioning. So I would want to make sure that the final renders were perfect, mm -hmm. that I could replicate them and try them on some of the more popular 3D printers. Yeah. So I've thought about it, but I'm not really set up at the moment to be able to say, here's what it looks like 3D printed on my printer. You get a photon or you get, you know, this this printer and it'll print out fine. Right. So um, to, to do in the future maybe, um, yeah. it's more popular right now than pewter is. Um, I personally prefer pewter, but I know the STLs is, is another option as well. So I've thought about it. I just not really able to do it at the moment. Yeah. Pewter is, is new to me. I'm back from the time when we were, we were all playing with lead. Lead. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like having painted a lot of minis back in the early eighties when I started this stuff and now working in environmental science, I'm like, I don't want to think about those exposures. Nope. That nope, lead, nope, nope. Yep. Well, I used to, nope. I used to cast in lead. So that's in me, right? The fumes yeah. from the yep. lead, you know, I used yep. to do casting. So I, who know? I'm still here, though, right? Yeah, we're good. I definitely, when I first started playing, was at my friend's house who's been playing it since the dawn of time. And, like, I have a bad habit. Like, if a mini's not on the table, like, I'll sit and hold it in my hand, and it uh, ends up in my mouth. And it, oh, no! So I've got, like, <laughs> no. the little sword tip in my mouth, and he looks over at me, and he says, that's actual lead. And I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to kill you. <laughs> no, it's not going to kill me. But, you know, just like my brain was like, lead bad. <laughs> bad yeah. It won't kill you. It'll just make you stupid. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. That is true. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah. How about uh, how about you, Anthony? Yeah, for, for ours, we're, um, so our Kickstarter is a little different in, tr in terms of what we're trying to accomplish with it. And one of the core things is we're trying to prove our business model and, and what I mean is we're trying to change the way creators get paid we want to pay our writers 20 cents a word out the gate and our editors wait a minute a stop stop you're paying your writers 20 cents a word can I come work word. for you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need another writer <laughs> right here so an editor's 10 cents a word which i'm yeah. a professional editor yeah. and i'm usually charging four cents a word like so. i've never even heard of 20 cents a word <laughs> Hell, uh -oh. i don't get paid You're 20 Jenny's cents a gonna word have a talk with me after job. this <laughs> anthony no. stop that look this is this is uh, obviously i will say we're in a unique position what i mean we is again me and my partners we've been lucky that we have a big social media presence we have a, a wide marketing reach like you've talked about Darren, and we kind of want to use that to see if like it, it, we're going to try to do this and if we can do it we're going to continue pushing in that direction and so we wanted to go all out on our first attempt because um, we think we can and we think that's uh good if we're able to you know 
And uh, so our stretch goals, we have, you know, an expanded set of subclasses for players to get into. We have uh, more firearm rules, vehicle rules that we're looking at, like aerial combat, dogfighting type stuff. And then an expanded world building that uh, Sadie would spearhead if she does that. And again, uh, the last one's more art. So we have uh, several stretch goals, but uh, there's only four because we're putting so much funding into paying all of our creatives so so much that we want to make sure we do that. So our gauge of success for Crystal Cold Press is if we meet our funding goal. Our funding goal is uh, going to be $30,000. Um, but if we hit that, we've covered all expenses and we can we, we paid everybody the, the target rates we're looking for and we're successful. And our, our attempt is to, we came to this conclusion, I'll just share something because they said your audience is interested in what the marketplace looks like. But yeah. We've done a lot of market research, and I'll share some of this with you. So in 2019, the tabletop gaming industry went up to $80 million, so 23% growth. And Jeez Louise, 23% growth from the year before? Correct, from the year before. Now, the interesting thing here is they have, you know, tabletop gaming falls under leisure gaming, that market, and the data in that market says when the economy goes bad or when people are out of work, that market actually increases because people have more time and they and have they, to look for more affordable options of entertainment. Right. And, and per at cents per hour, D and D and role playing games are cheap as it gets. Yep. Well, and it's a yep. community project. It's a community mm -hmm. hobby. It's it's the thing that you can do with people when you're out of work. You know, I I can go see a movie or go to a restaurant, sure, or I can spend. I mean, not 10, now, 20, but 30, yeah. Or I can spend 10, 20, 30 hours with a storytelling with my friends for this hundreds of hours, even for the same amount that I would spend. And if someone know. brings food, you've spent even less money. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for, for, for one of the adventure books, you're paying 24 to $30 for one of the adventure books and you've got hundreds of hours of gameplay. You can't beat that. That's just an amazing value overall for camaraderie and, and, and um, companionship and storytelling and laughs and everything memories so I, I i'm of the one who wants single one-shot adventures to be 9.95 um, yeah, you know, yeah two to four hours for 10 bucks two to four hours of uh of making people happy for for you know that for 10 bucks well, is cheap i've convinced my last two projects to launch ours higher than our initial so Matthew Whitby wanted to go at five ninety five. I'm like, no, seven ninety five. Oh, was that for Tai Chi's Torment? Yeah, Tai Chi's Torment. Yeah, yeah. I was like, absolutely not. He we accidentally five... wrote fifty four pages. He said <laughs> like five ninety five, and I was like, Matthew Whitby, are you out of your dang mind? I was already. I was like, I will cross this ocean. <laughs> <laughs> we will find you. We will. Find... I had. I spent hours on editing that. You are and, not launching at five ninety five. Yeah. And then Theriad's Lost Versus is uh, $16.95, I believe. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we need, to, we need to start paying creators what they're worth, and we need to be, like, there's a, there's a mindset about, about gamers that's like, well, I can make this up for free, so there's no sense in paying for it. Yeah, okay, well, buddy, do it. I want you all to succeed, like, wildly succeed at this and pay your writers this 20-cent goal so that other companies uh, have, you know, they, they get the notice that, man, people are going to get paid what they're worth now, and they won't work for us if they can go work for someone like this. Yes. And, so and, the, and the problem that we've seen is there's a, it's, there's a hesitation on both sides. The, the producers of it are, are skeptical of, 
if I raise my price too high, will I make my money? Will I sell? So there's like this tug of war going on between the fear that if you pay people well and your production costs too high, you can't sustain the, the units that you need to sell to be product, you know, profitable. Uh, and, but you, we've seen it on DMs Guild, right? Compare DMs Guild, the quality of the products from three years ago or two years ago to today. And it, it's correlated to the, the price increase, like you said, Jenny, like prices going up on products has produced professional level products now on the deal. And that's good for customers and it's good for yeah. the producer. You know? it, it's been a great democratization of the publishing cost or the publishing process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I only launched Encounters in the Far North at 595 because I was looking at Waterdeep City Encounters, the page count on it versus the page count on Far North. And I was like, well, we, we've, we've set ourselves up for failure here. <laughs> Can't go as high as that. You can always change your price. Yeah. So, so tell us more about stretch goals for Nazi Dracula Must Die. Yeah. Yes. You want to talk about some world building stuff that, uh, you know, things they can maybe look at if, if we expand that? Well, we, had, uh, we had talked about, <laughs> you know. I'm putting her on a spot a little bit. I know. You didn't prep me for this. Um, Sorry. One of the things we've talked about is right now we're keeping the world building relatively small in in area scope just to keep it realistic for our writers, you know, so we're very much focusing on the European theater of war um, because that's where so much of the action happened. But obviously the whole world was engaged in this. So much of it um, was affected. And so we would love to start branching out more to away from Europe and going, okay, well, who else was affected and what's going we on get there? Japan. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. We need to get Japan in there. North Africa. Yeah. Yeah. North Africa. Japan, North Africa. Um, We talked about doing um, Gaul, like the Caribbean, um, Canada, Mm -hmm. like just kind of looking at, well, what were they doing? Because right now we have to say so limited in terms of the area. I know there weren't Nazis in Antarctica, but could we get Nazis in Antarctica? <laughs> oh, there were definitely, like, Nazi vampires in Antarctica. <laughs> if, we fund, if we fund exuberantly, I will make sure there's something in Antarctica for you. We, we gotta have every continent touched, okay? I think uh, you could do, with, with your continents, with these other locations, you could do different um, or, threats, like yeah. zombies, you know? The zombies zombies in Africa and uh, mummies rise in Japan and, you know, just Cth- different. Cthulhu different, yeah. remnants in Antarctica. Or, yeah. yeah. Or, or uh, what's, the, oh God, what's that movie? Nazis on the moon. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've not seen that one. There's two. There's a sequel now. It's, 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 like a, it's like a B movie, but it's so good. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Anthony, if we hit 100,000, Nazis on the moon. There you go, Nazis on the moon. <laughs> Um, You're welcome, yeah, Alan. <laughs> he loves that movie. I'll have to look that one up. So, so you're looking at world building chunks being part of your stretch goals. Well, be yeah, you know, world building will be one more, a lot more player options, and then those new mechanics we have. Again, you have in D and D as it is right now, you do have vehicle rules and sailing rules, but there's no, mm. yeah, you know, there. I, I, I hear you. And uh, for World War II, we're going to have to obviously do our own take on those. But we also have the dogfighting in the air, uh, airplanes and uh, aerial combat. So we yeah, have tanks. how do you aerial combat with a flying demon? Yeah. You're gonna eat your, your, I am your, excited your, to find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we, we have a lot more mechanics, a lot more uh, player options, like subclasses, spells, magic items, and then the world building. So think of it as Nazi Dracula Must Die, in its essence, is a is its own setting with all that content. And so it'll get bigger as we 
as you do the stretch goals. And so, uh, so is that like different books coming out, or the original book keeps getting bigger and bigger it, and bigger? It, and bigger? It, oh my! <laughs> initially, so initially, uh, we're gonna keep everything in that one book. We we're not gonna bloat it, uh, I should say. But if the if the product is successful, we do have plans to maybe follow on with different uh, products in that series. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot. Again, there's a lot you can do with that world in in growing it because it's it's an idea. And the more creators we have, we have a a design team of 20 creators right now. It's a lot. And the, the good thing about that is we're getting such unique outlooks from people that are just bringing their little tidbits into their part of the world. That's making it so crazy. We, uh, we have some other concepts like in Italy, you have the ghosts of Marcus Aurelius raising legions of Romans to go like, you know, and then you have in, in France, Joan of Arc and her, you know, the resistance there. And it's just, the world is so fun and crazy. It can go in so many different ways as we, as we develop it. Pretty cool. It's a great I idea. Just, Wish I thought of it. I'm now anticipating a book larger than Tome of Beast and... Oh, that's... <laughs> Tolus level. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to make your text slightly larger for accessibility, okay? It's fine. We, uh, yes, yes. That is, look, with the preview PDF, we cram, you know, crammed it in nine. We needed to keep it to nine pages, uh, but the font will be bigger. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, uh, well, I guess, like, one last uh, real question, and then we'll get some final thoughts. Um, so, I think people are going to want to know, like, what made you choose to do a Kickstarter rather than publishing on DriveThruRPG or a similar platform? Or it's just self-publishing. It is like yeah. Evil Hat or I don't know, a lot of the Chaosium stuff. I'll take that one first. Um, I can't afford to pay people what I'm paying if I'm publishing on the DMs Guild. Well, yeah. that's, that's fair. But what about because, RPG? You get more there. Yeah, but still, uh, to, to put in $10,000 of initial product investment, you know, the Kickstarter is the quick way to try and get that return and then give it to other people, you know, and Kickstarter allows for people to pick it up at a reduced price um, and get the stretch goals for free, that type of thing. Uh, but in drive through RPG does not see the sales of D and D content that the DMS guild does. And I feel that uh, Kickstarter has a better hold on the D and D community than drive through RPG does at the moment. So uh, DMS guild takes 50%, right? Correct. Yes. And drive through takes how much? 30 to 20, 30 to 35, depending on the, the relationship of how you're selling your products, I believe. Okay. Let me, um, let me add some numbers here too, to give context. Cause this is, this is a very good question. And if anybody out there is listening, want to know it's like the numbers and the math behind it, uh, I'll give it to you now. So I talked about that 80 million from 2019. Now, again, that number is going up this year. It's going to go up around 20%. So you can get close to a hundred million dollars. Because we're all stuck at home looking for yeah. something to do so we don't have to watch the news. So Getting these, are, these are public things. numbers. These are not numbers that I've gotten from anyone. These are publicly accessible numbers in, in the research I've done. OBS, who owns DriveThruRPG and DMs Killed, their total sales is unknown, but it's estimated to be somewhere between $500,000 and a million. So I want you to think about Dang. that. Out of, a, out of $80 million market, that's $500,000 to a million. Now think of this. Heckna, a Kickstarter right now, is at almost $500,000 of funding. And you take another Kickstarter that's going well, like Dark, uh, Dark uh, Matter was almost around 500. It was about three to 500. So those two Kickstarters alone equal the amount of money that OBS makes on an annual basis. And they made that in 30 days, two, two Kickstarters. 
So what I'm trying to say is the money, the stream of money right now in the marketplace is on Kickstarter. Um, and when you talk to people uh, about the projects of Kickstarter, you'll have, let's say you have a big following, right? And you like, uh, right now if I put a product on DMs Guild, uh, it'll have a lot of people that are fans, they'll buy it. On Kickstarter, big people that put stuff on there, over 50% of their customers come organically through Kickstarter. That means that these people don't know who they are from anybody else. But Kickstarter itself is so big that over when you over 50% is this new customer base, it's huge. And you can still sell your product after your Kickstarter on DriveThruRPG. So you can, you know, sell in multiple marketplaces. Yeah. So that's what it's all about is, you know, Kickstarter is the, the big target or Walmart. All the customers are there. You know, the oh. drive-thru and stuff is kind of like your mom and pop uh, shop right now where they get less foot traffic. So think of it in that terms and you'll see the benefit of and if, and if you don't mind me interjecting too, another benefit is that um, with Kickstarter, it's almost like a proof of concept. And we're getting to the point where more and more people are getting their product done before they kickstart in order to play it safe. But you don't necessarily have to. And so it's it's an interesting experiment of, is this something people will pay for? Well, with DMs Guild and Drive Through RPG, you have to make the thing before you find out if people will pay you for it and how how popular it's going to be. Whereas with Kickstarter, point. you put in a little bit of work up front and you, you know, you show your proof of concept, which is very important. And, you know, we're not going to deny that there's some, some effort that does need to be done up front, but you don't need to do all of it. And then you fund and you, you know, that this is something people want. You know that it's going to sell because it did sell. Pre-orders. And you do the rest of the work. And so it's, it's a little, it's, I think people think of Kickstarter and they get a little freaked out. They're like, that's such a huge risk. But is that really more of a risk than spending months making a huge D&D &D book <laughs> and hoping that everyone will put in their time and that that time will be worth it and hoping it'll sell and then it doesn't? Yeah. Let me, just, yeah that's a just, just great point. Great point. I haven't little, thought of that. Give a little insight here. My Annalise's Revenge that I just released, I have around $1,000 invested in that one with commissioned art writing and, and um, cartography and editing. And it's made seventy eight dollars today, and in, in, you know, in thirty days. So that, that's me taking busy, the risk. It's been a busy thirty days on the guild. Yes, it has. And yeah. so you know, you've got you're taking that risk every time you you put something on the DM's guild, not knowing if it's going to sell or not. Like Sadie had said, um, whereas Kickstarter, you're going to know right away, um, or at least within thirty days, if it's worth it to to make this project or not. Especially for the smaller ones. Now, in the larger ones, we've already put a lot of money into it. You know, you're taking the risk anyway, but you're you're hoping, crossing your fingers, that it funds. Yeah, that was an excellent point, Sadie. I just I hadn't thought of it that way before, but you encapsulated it perfectly. Yep. Darren. In, yeah, in my case, um, I can give some real numbers. So this is some cold interesting information I don't mind disclosing for anybody that's interested in running Kickstarter. So I, I ran a, a miniature Kickstarter and the return on investment was, I, I, I did incredibly well and got a five to one on marketing. Okay. So for every dollar I spent on marketing, I could directly show that it brought in $5. The way I do marketing, I do some tricks behind the scene um, that wasn't the Kickstarter only growth, if that makes sense. It was truly from Facebook marketing. I went and had the product on my website, okay? I, can, I have it in stock right now. I have it available post-Kickstarter. 
the return on investment from marketing is less than one. In other words, for every dollar oh. I spend, I get less than a dollar in sales. And you can have it right now. I have nine miniatures available right now. Don't have to wait for Kickstarter to fulfill. It had the same price point at the time. Now they've gone back up to full retail price. But while I was still fulfilling, um, I was putting any new orders at the tail end so that the people who did the Kickstarter got their stuff first and then everyone else did. And it was a, it was less than a one-to-one. So I had to pull the marketing for the product because I was literally giving it away at that point. So yeah, if you're not doing any Kickstarter right now, it's incredibly difficult. Um, and I'm not the only one I've talked to other people that do physical products that that's really the case. Your, your web store um, in, in some ways it makes almost no sense to even have a web shop, your own personal private website um, because it's not doing that return. Um, even for what you market for. So kind of sad, but people would rather, I guess people would rather put the money into Kickstarter with the hope of the future that you deliver, right? Than to actually have it shipped out today, right? And have it available right now. So it's, it's an interesting mindset that's been developed in, I think, in our I think a lot of that too is like that hype. You want to, like other people are buying in. You want to be in too. You don't want to miss out. If you're missing out. So, like, serotonin is in short supply these days, and if you get a little burst of it from that fun <laughs> Kickstarter, then, I think that's you know, it. God I bless. Think... My rubber duck dice are shipping soon. I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. Nice. So, so, for the people in our, in our audience who are listening to this going, shit, I have a good thing, and I want to, I was thinking about putting it up on DMs Guild or drive through and now I'm wondering if I should expand it a bit and make a Kickstarter. What are some of the Kickstarter best practices? What are the things, the practical suggestions you can give our audience to say, if you want your Kickstarter to succeed, do this. All right, that is a good extra question. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll give some insight. This is going to be my opinion. So just... I want to preface that. that what all I'm saying opinions. Everything is not the God is not the word of God or anything. So I, I look at DM skilled like the newbie zone in an MMO. It's like you, you go there you kill your first few rats and some kobolds and you get, you level up and you know, jumping, I think in the Kickstarter right away is like going to fight the big bad, you know, level 20 beast and you're level one. Um, that's just my, that's just my experience. Cause I, I will say I've done a lot of DM skill stuff and that is where, I was able to learn how to work with others, build teams and create the professional level products that are going to be successful in a bigger marketplace on Kickstarter and, and get that appeal, especially if you're not coming from a background of, you know, publishing or, or project management and things like that. So it's not that one is better than the other in that sense. They have different purposes. I think the DM skills allows you to get your, your bearing on, on how to do this. And you can start to build a portfolio there and get a following because getting a following is very important. A, a trusted customer base that says, I like your product, I trust it, and I'll follow you wherever you go. Uh, and so then you could then move into Kickstarter. I'll, I'll be honest with Kickstarter. Uh, I'm working with a Kickstarter consulting uh, firm called Quill Silver, run by, run by Brenna Noonan. Uh, and she's great. Uh, they have done so much for us because I have never run a Kickstarter. And there's a lot of things with marketing, like Darren said, I'm not a marketing guy, but uh, they run our ads for us on Facebook, those type of returns that Darren's talking about. And if it hadn't been for working with other people, uh, and me just doing this by myself, I would be in a much different place, I think. It'd be a lot harder. 
So teamwork is essential. Let me then sum it up. Teamwork is essential. You can start learning how to work with teams and collaborating on the DM skills, and then you can kind of like level up into Kickstarter. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Okay, that's very fair. That's very fair. So I think my advice is actually a little more general, but I'll, I'll tie it into Kickstarter. So for those who don't know, I work as a, an editor at a book publishing company. So uh, I have my hands in many kinds of publishing. And I, I always tell people who write on DM Skilled, because I think that even if the two worlds are different, it's still applicable. Um, when we have acquisitions, when we have proposals that are sent to us, or when we go try to acquire books, we judge we judge these books on two primary merits. And the first is, and if one is very strong and one is very weak, then that's that's generally okay. If they're both very strong, even better. Um, these two merits are: do we have an author that will sell it? And, or do we think that it is a concept that will sell itself? And those two work in tandem. Uh, so what people, the, the best thing you can do as a collaborator, I think, uh, is to build a name for yourself and to b build a reputation as being someone who produces good content. And you can fill a niche, you cannot fill a niche, but build a name for yourself and then be very active. We look for active authors. We look for people who are willing to do podcasts and interviews and events and book signings. And this is obviously the publishing company. It's different in the tabletop community, but so the first pillar is uh, the contributors themselves. The second uh, is, is this a concept that will sell itself? And that depends on knowing your market. So my advice to anyone who is planning a Kickstarter, look at what's selling. Uh, and because my book publishing company has very niche markets, it's not something we sell very, you know, very specific concepts because we know that that's what our accounts will buy. Um, we, we sell to certain stores, certain accounts, certain regions, because we know that that's what's going to sell there. So you have to have an understanding of well, what is the market looking for? And is, is there, if there's a niche, is it one that you can fill or is there a niche because it's not going to be because nobody wants it. It's spending the time to understand that. Um, so I really recommend, first of all, getting, not only just getting your name out there, building a reputation, team working with people who you know will bring their name and their reputation to it because names do sell. We see that in even in book publishing. I could I could name for you uh, a couple of architects and a couple of chefs who like people will buy their cookbooks and their design books purely because their name is on it. And we know that, you know, someone will go buy a James and Tricasso product because it's got James and Tricasso's name on it. And I'd we probably see that. do that. Yeah. yeah. Guilty as charged. <laughs> exactly. Uh, or you know, you do study the market. What's selling? What do people like? What are people interested in? What Kickstarters are succeeding? What Kickstarters are failing? What are they doing well? You know, I think that uh, my the other guests here can talk more about Kickstarter specific tips, but from someone who, you know, we have to evaluate every single acquisition very carefully and go, will this sell to our accounts? And the two big questions are, is the author going to drive it and, or and or is it a concept that will sell on its own purely because of what it is? That is, that is excellent concrete advice. And, and that goes for DMs Guild and drive through and any sort of 
RPG publishing period, as well as other things, but definitely for RPG publishing period. So with that, um, you know, we're getting, well, we got past an hour already, but does anybody have any other final thoughts that they want to share about this process or that you feel it's important for any of our listeners who want to do their Kickstarter to, to have? Yeah, do you have one thing that you wish you'd known previously? <laughs> if you had to um, narrow it down to only one thing you wish okay. you'd known. Yeah, I'm sorry. That was really broad the way I said it. That could have been another 20 minutes each. Yes. We just have so much wisdom. Well, well I, think, I think each one that I've done here is I learn a lot from. And, you know, you, you can always look back and say, I wish I could have done it differently. Um, in my case, we had, a lot of, um, we had a lot of challenges. My wife was diagnosed with cancer right before our initial launch. Oh, goodness. And so we had to push it back. And I think I lost a lot of steam for that in terms of the buildup to it. And so... Um, you know, wanted to get it launched. And so it was kind of a false start, if that makes sense. So um, in hindsight, I probably would have just launched, right, and built it up and just kept going. But I didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know where that was. Luckily, she came out of it Good. very Good. well and it had the surgery and the radiation's done. And I thought, okay, now is the time. But you lose that momentum, right, when you have that delay. So I probably should have done a reset, a rethink, and a rebuild because we had it ready to go. And we were probably well, at the two to three week part point where we were ready to go with it. And that happens. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot going on right now, right? For everybody, everybody's having that. So you have to be flexible and, um, you know, that, that's really kind of, and if you don't succeed the first time, keep going at it. Don't give up, right? Yeah. You may not succeed. Yeah. You may just keep the material and do it again. I may, you know, if I, if mine doesn't fund, I, I'll find another way to release it or I'll come back better. Uh, maybe with um, Anthony's marketing um, expert on, it, on, on board, um, right? Because I can always, you can always, uh, I, I always say this in any project, you can always, you can always make a better mousetrap. No matter how 100% you have it, there's always something you can do better. So my, that'd be my advice. My, uh, first of all, uh, best wishes and love to your wife. Uh, I'm glad to hear things have smoothed out. Um, uh, my boss always says, fail fast, fail hard. Uh, yep. And yep. I, so I think you're... Don't waste a lot of time problem. screwing it up. I prefer Just not, do it as a project on. manager, I prefer not to fail. But, but if you're going to do it, <laughs> but if you're going to do it, go ahead and recognize that's it, what's happening. Yeah. Fast. She goes, you know, I, I asked her, well, what, how do I, how do I start recognizing good acquisitions? She goes, fail fast, fail hard, bring, bring stuff to the team, throw stuff at the board, see what sticks and what doesn't. I think people see failed Kickstarters as like the end all be all. I, I have failed as a creator. No. no. Pick yourself back up, learn lessons from it. Try again. Maybe it was just bad timing. Yeah. That's possible too. Maybe you tried to launch an ice setting when an ice setting was. Oh just my announced. gosh. Yeah, we won't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I had the idea a year ago. I've been working on this and the timing is probably not the best for me, but it could be great. I mean it, it could be synergistic. It's, it's that's very what synergistic. I, that, that's my argument. I know. I'm on the market it as synergistics. Lean you know? hard. Well, yeah. I have to be careful because I do respect, you know, Wizards of Coast property rights, right? So I got to be careful not dropping Icewind Dale and the things that they own, right? So you can use it for that, but I, I try to respect that as a yeah. creator to not market it that way, if that makes sense. Yes. Jeff, what are some of your best practices for Kickstarter? Things that you wish you'd known your a long one, time your ago? Your one thing. So far, I don't know yet. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, right, that's 
That's fair. And, and knowing the amount of time that did you spend on the back end with Kickstarter and trying to get it all ready and prepped and and reaching out for marketing and and trying to find marketing avenues before it uh, uh, actually releases, and then thinking about what you're going to do when it does release, and how many times can you post on Twitter about it, and you know just not sleeping at night. Just realize you're probably not going to sleep much. You can um, schedule your tweets. You don't have to stay I've awake to that. do that. I heard that. <laughs> yeah, please get them sleep. Don't advertise. I'm going to try. We care about See, you. We want you. To I'm sleep. on vacation all next week, so okay. So I've got I've got a whole week during the the, the initial launch to to take naps and stuff as I need to. So <laughs> all right, we can check on you to make sure you're sleeping. Yeah, and <laughs> and I can show you how to schedule tweets, baby. Please don't. Please don't. Please don't. I found that Twitter ads are uh, really bad return. It's pretty useless. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't. Put any Facebook ads out is there. better than Twitter. Yeah. Don't yeah. quote me on that in case I'm wrong. As far, no, as, true. As, far true. as targeting your audiences on there, yeah. it's it's super helpful if your audience has like liked the D and D page or something useful like that. But um, it's yeah, it's a lot more. It narrows it down because on Twitter, how do they know what you like? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Anyways, sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt no, you there. That's but, all yeah. right. No, it's 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 yeah. It's, it's it's all complete. It's a total learning experience as far as the first one goes, and so there's a lot to learn. And hopefully, for my second one, I've, I've made made some good choices, and I'll learn from the the mistakes. All right. See, positive. Already planning for a second. Oh yeah. All right. Well, thank you all very much, and uh, I am super excited for the two Kickstarters coming out, and I've already backed. Uh, the one that is already out. So. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so, nice uh, to know. I did That puts too. the pressure on me for quality now, doesn't it? I'm not concerned. It's going to be great. Well, thank you yep, for having and, us on. Thank you so exactly. much. Exactly. Yeah, Anthony, so Sadie, good luck with yours. Darren, I hope yours funds. I'm sure it will. I'll be back in yours soon. But yeah, everybody who's releasing this week, good luck. Because there, yeah. there's a lot of stuff, good stuff coming out. So I'm rooting yeah. for everybody. Okay. We got this. Hey. And everyone remember to give Ann Gregerson some love because she is yes. launching Monday. Yep, that's and, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, from what I've seen, I'm so excited. And be sure and tell our audience what her product is. Oh, it's um. Hold on, I know that I know the name. It's uh, <laughs> stolen notes. Stolen notes to stolen notes to something. Hold on, Starts I got with this. an A. Yeah. A L Erilyn stolen notes to Valea. Um, yeah. Okay. So it is a campaign setting that is based in corruption and virtue, and it looks it, it's very. If anyone's just like, so if anyone's a Final Fantasy MMO fan, it it reminds me very much of the Shadowbringers expansion, which is my favorite expansion. So if you know what I'm talking about, listeners, it looks like the good stuff. It okay? doesn't look like my <laughs> cup of tea, but it looks like it's quality content regardless. So yeah. well, it's Ann Gregerson, so you know it's yeah. gonna be. Ann's yeah. amazing. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, um, so that is gonna be it for this uh, hour and a half long episode of the D and D Roundtable. Uh, thank you so much to all of you for being on and sharing your wisdom with us. Um, before we go, though. Um, why don't you let everyone know where they can find you and your stuff online? Uh, Anthony. All right. You can find me on Twitter at Thrawn589. Okay. Alrighty. And mine is Dalreth, D-A-L-R-E-T-H, both on Twitter, Facebook, and uh, website, www.dalreth.com. Mine is J Corvin Stevens, J C O R V I N Stevens on Twitter, and I have a website, JeffStevensGames.com, 
and then uh, on my Kickstarter. <laughs> <laughs> we will have the links to all the Kickstarters on the awesome. show page. Yep. Please back our Kickstarters. Yeah, and then Sadie, how about where everyone can find you? Yeah, so you can find me. My website is sadielowry.com, or you can find me on Twitter at incandescent. It is incandescent with a an extra A stuck into it <laughs> for no <Yeah>. reason. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Jenny Loveday. That's G-I-N-N-Y-L-O-V-E-D-A-Y. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, and also my website. Same thing. Uh, I just like to keep it simple. JennyLoveday.com. Paige? So you can find me on Twitter at Paige Lightman. That's L-E-I-T-M-A-N. Same thing on Facebook. And you can find out more on my website that my husband and I use. It's benandpagewright.com. All right. And as always, you can find the Roundtable on Twitter. It's D, the letter N-D, Roundtable. You can find us on Facebook under the same thing. You can always shoot us an email to dndroundtable at gmail.com. If you've got thoughts you want to share, suggestions for upcoming shows, or whatever it is that you want. Um, please remember to like us on Facebook, leave a review on Facebook, iTunes, wherever you find your podcast. We appreciate your support and feedback. And that's it for this episode of The Roundtable. Until See you next, next time. time. Bye. 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 Bye.